everybody be cool. You be cool. First rule of Fight Club is you do not talk about Fight Club. Is this a dream? Unfortunately, no one can be told what the Matrix is. You have to see it for yourself. I hope not. If it were, they'd be wrong. Come with me if you want to live. Hello and welcome to the BBFC podcast, and this is the second podcast where we're covering science fiction. I'm joined by BBFC Head of Education, Lucy. How are you doing, Lucy? I'm all right, thank you. So we're going to continue talking about uh, science fiction, and next film on the roster is uh, Jurassic Park. Now, um, James Cameron sort of started all this with The Abyss and the sort of first use of uh, CGI, or one of the first uses of CGI in a film with the the water tentacle beast, which was pretty well done. Um, Obviously... It started being used even more in Terminator 2 with the liquid metal uh, T-1000, but it really came to the fore in Jurassic Park, which, although many people sort of think of it as a CGI extravaganza, which it was to an extent, there was also a massive amount of puppet work in there by Stan Winston, and the two techniques obviously created a really, really believable depiction of uh, dinosaurs on screen, which was one of the first times people had seen anything like this in the cinema. So what did the BBFC make of it when it came to us, Lucy? I gather we had quite an unusual approach. Yeah, I mean, Jurassic Park is a really brilliant um, file, although I have to say when I I actually looked at the file, it's absolutely enormous, Joe. I mean, it really is massive. And I couldn't work out why until I found out that the story of Jurassic Park is, is, as you say, very interesting. As as many people know, it was past PG, and it's quite interesting, and it's this move for these sort of monster movies to being one that has huge appeal to a childhood family audience. Um, It's sort of like sort of coming down from the sort of scarier Godzillas into this really quite um, kid-friendly, scary space, um, much more so than, say, um, the slightly older appeal of something like Jurassic World, which has obviously been phenomenally successful this year. Um, the earlier Jurassic Park has a real sort of Steven Spielberg kiddie, kiddie air. Um, but when the examiners saw it, though they were fairly clear that they thought it was a PG right from the get-go, um, there was a decision that we should think very carefully about showing it to some children and see how they responded. So I've got some reports from the time to show you like the sort of thought processes and the other films that they're referring to, like the ones you've been referring to. And also I've got some of the examiner reports and discussion of what it was like viewing with with hundreds of children. Sure, yeah. I mean, that's a quite an unusual thing for us to do, isn't it? I suppose yeah. it speaks sort of volumes about the the impact of the film. And I should actually say we're recording the director's office again, and um, that's not dinosaurs outside. Yes, it's no. just traffic passing by. So, so if you can hear that. Um, so, yeah. So we we actually showed the film to a group of children. Is that right? Yeah, it is. So what we did was the board organised a screening um, for children in, in the upper end of the PG brackets. You've got to remember when Jurassic Park came in, there was no 12A, so you were either saying it's a PG, so technically anyone can see it. Um, and some PG films, of course, do have appeal to the sort of younger end. Or you give it a 12, and at that point you're saying no one who's 11, no one at primary school can go and see it at all, whether their mum and dad or carers mind, whether they are robust enough to enjoy it, they can't see it. So that was what they were faced with as a decision. Um, and they wanted to test out quite its degree of appeal, I think, to the sort of 8 to 11 use, in fact, to, to that group. And quite a lot of the examiners in their reports talk about how PG did split in this way and that they were concerned about the six-year-olds, but they weren't concerned about the 10-year-olds. Anyway, so they, they organised an enormous screening and it really is uh, it's one of my favourite files that we've got. Um, 
So, for example, one of the examiners says, As I had already written a report on this film before, this is just a brief impression of the test screening this morning at the plaza. Despite the screaming in the auditorium and mass excursions to the loo during the more talkative scenes, on the whole, I think the children liked it a lot. And I would say the reaction was closer to cheerful terror than genuine anguish from most of the audience. Spielberg's kind of terror is so upfront and in the light that even the more scary scenes do not take on nightmarish sinister qualities. What might be a failing in the eyes of an adult audience actually suits children rather well. This is the kind of temporary scare that a child quickly recovers from. So they they sort of they've been watching how the children react to the film and seeing whether they think that the film has appeal, but also like are they really that scared? And lots of those reports from where the examiners talk about you know the degree to which there was um, the children whooped and screamed during the hair raising bits and chatted during the dull bits and and how the auditorium was sort of filled with it and. Um, They all conclude largely that it would be sad to deny under 12s the experience and that the film had undoubted massive appeal to sort of 9, 10, uh, 11 year olds. Um, And we were talking just before we started recording about how interesting it would be if um, any of you listening at home were in that audience in the plaza, because obviously none of us were um, who work at the board now. And it's quite an interesting idea, like how that felt to have the morning off school and go and watch Jurassic Park. It's quite incredible. Um, Sort of further to that, what I think is really interesting thinking about science fiction films, especially when they really appeal to children and young audiences, is that the examiner's reports um, mention more grown-up films. So they say things like the chase scenes reminds one of the examiners of Alien. And we, we get that when we are watching films. We see a film aimed at a much younger audience that has references to maybe films that are 15s or 18s or whatever. Um, and so, you know, that's how they work. That's how the suspense works. But the examiner's also talk about um, sort of putting themselves in the mind of a child if you like while they're watching it so some of them are less impressed than others um, but some of them actually write as if they are sort of seven or eight having watched it and they, they are very excited about it you know this I sat down and it was an absolute pleasure and I was really excited and I just think that sort of thing was is really great so um, uh it was invaluable to have seen this film first in the theatre with my colleagues at the BBFC, where I was enthralled like a child in a deep, dark world of terror, which, however scary, was an experience not to be denied to any child who could cope with it. My primary reason for the PG after that first screening was wanting to share the magical experience of the dinosaurs with as wide a child's audience as possible. And I mean, I remember seeing it. I was slightly older than, than 10 when Jurassic Park came out, but I do remember the exciting thrill of it, but also um, I think as we sort of hinted down and we were talking about when we talked about War of the Worlds in, in the previous podcast, um, even though it's fantasy, it feels very real. I mean, they feel like real dinosaurs to me. I mean, even now, I think. Yeah. I mean, I remember when I saw it and it was, it was sort of a, an event, you know, it was event cinema, which I suppose is what is Spielberg's uh, thing, you know, sort of invented that that type of, um, of cinema experience. Well, though it's quite interesting thinking about Spielberg. Uh, particularly because the examiners mentioned this and I think this is true especially of Jurassic Park that uh, the audience would have been aware that the children are unlikely to actually come a cropper in Jurassic Park mm. so the examiners described that really what I remember being very terrifying scene where the T-Rex is bearing down on the car and they're hiding underneath yeah. it um, and of course the now infamous kitchen scene which is really frightening with the mirrors um, and they talk about how 
a bit like being on a roller coaster or a ghost train. You're pretty clear that at the end of the day, it's going to be all right. Yeah. And that sense is, is very important to the works PG. Although we should mention that they did something else different with Jurassic Park that they had only done occasionally in the past, which is that they put a warning. So it was a precursor, if you like, to the insight we have today where they put a warning on it. They said it's a PG, but it's not suitable for the much younger children and it might be scary or disturbing for them. And they said that first, they said that um, on the posters, but then they also asked the company to put it on the back of the VHS. We've got the old VHS sleeves here where the, they mentioned that, you know, there's occasional scary violence and the dinosaur attacks are scary and things like that. So giving parents that extra bit of information. Yeah, it's interesting. So I did actually read somewhere that the um, the bit where the T-Rex is threatening the children and the uh, the sort of windscreen of the car breaks in wasn't actually meant to happen and happened on set and, and they actually rolled with it. So I guess some of those some of those she, screams she really might, is that scared. Yeah, might actually sister. might actually be real, but uh, oh you know, yeah. So I mean, Jurassic Park's obviously a very type uh, specific type of science fiction, and that it's primarily a monster movie. Although the uh, the conceit of the film is that it's. Uh, the dinosaurs have been bred using yeah, a, yeah. you know DNA from the mosquito, so it's a science fiction idea, but used to create a monster movie effectively. Um, but another film that's much perhaps I wouldn't say pure science fiction, but perhaps much more in line with the War of the Worlds that we were speaking about in the previous episode is uh, Independence Day, which was another massive event yeah, yeah. Um, piece of cinema. So, what did the board make of that when it came in? Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I always think of Independence Day as being a really um, well-known film, and it feels like such an archetypal twelve A, like a good example of what a twelve A film might be like. Um, and of course, uh, it it wasn't a twelve A, and the reason being there was no twelve A when Independence came in. It came in so Independence Day, sorry, it came in six years before the twelve A certificate. So, in Independence Day got a twelve, which was that bit more restrictive. So it meant that it was a, quite a clear message that unlike something like Jurassic Park, this was for older, older kids at 12, 13, 14. Absolutely. But it sort of obviously prevented people taking like uh, an 11 year old if they thought Absolutely. that 11 year old was particularly mature perhaps and could handle um, what the film was showing. And, it's, and which was interesting because at the time, of course, mm-hmm. uh, television personality and things like that as well so he's quite well known to younger audiences I think the the key issue was the violence though which was uh, that bit more moderate and um, also included scenes which were proper sort of disaster movie kind scenes with large scale special effects of entire buildings being raised to the ground and cities and famous landmarks and I think that's maybe what we all remember about Independence Day. Yeah of course the famous scene of the White House being blown up yeah, yeah. Um, it's, I mean, in many ways, it's sort of similar to the uh, the Steven Spielberg War of the Worlds. I mean, it has all that destruction, but there's perhaps a lighter tone to it, perhaps, in the, the Spielberg film? Yeah, maybe. But also, um, I think it, there's an emphasis on spectacle mm. rather than uh, on a sort of a, a lot of emphasis on very specific sort of personal injury. And that's often a sort of difference you might get between us at 12A, or this was 12, obviously, but at 12A and a 15, is that it will encompass these large scale events and these difficult things but it won't go into a lot of injury detail which would maybe be described better as strong yeah I suppose the the, the Tom Cruise film um, it focuses very much on him and his family whereas Independence Day is much more wide scale and it's about the sort of you know the, the government the American government struggling it's the aliens so it's not it's not personalised so much you know there's less threat I suppose and the sort of action sequences are there's some sort of more broad scale action sequences like dog fights in the sky and that sort of thing so maybe that that kind of adds to a sense that it's a quite a strong action adventure 
film as much as um, a sort of apocalyptic horror work. Yeah. If you see what I mean, it's like a bit I think of a it's a gun ho thing to it. Yeah, isn't it? well, it's exciting, isn't it? Well, it is, I mean, yeah. I remember it being very, very exciting when I mm. saw it when I when I was when I was younger. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, you know, science fiction doesn't always obviously focus at 12A. There's lots of, you know, higher end um, science fiction like the Alien yeah. and Terminator series and uh, there's others. It's also worth remembering that a film like Independence Day, again, in, in point of difference to some of the other sci-fi things we've talked about, um, it also got its 12 for language. Oh, so course, sometimes yeah. other classification issues will feed in mm. um, and, and we might remember uh, the the threat or the special effects from a film, but that might not have been the only issue that was considered. Yeah, absolutely. Two other films are also at 12A, uh, Star Trek Into Darkness and Oblivion. Yeah, yeah. Uh, both sort of come out within a few years of each other. Obviously, Star Trek's uh, second in the series of the rebooted series by J.J. Abrams. Um, so it's not featuring the classic cast, but they've all been uh, recast with, uh, mm-hmm. with uh, younger faces. How was that dealt with when it came uh, to the BBFC? Well, it's interesting because it, it sort of falls very much into the mould of a 12A and the science fiction setting does sort of mitigate or sort of help us um, contextualise the issues, if you like. But also, um, they actually do, even though it's a different genre, fall into that kind of 12A born identity and the following born films level of sort of moderate punchy violence mm. that has hints at things like injury but doesn't go into lots and lots of detail. So... Um, in fact, you know, the, where the violence is moderate, the tougher moments or injury are suggested rather than, than seen. Um, and that's kind of a hallmark, if you like, of the, the moderate stuff we'd, we'd get at 12A. The BBFC Insight does talk about things like the pervading sense of threat as well, though. And it's interesting that at 12A, that sort of longer sequences of threat can be, you know, quite, uh, quite a tell of something that's too strong for PG mm, for us. Yeah, I mean, certainly the film's quite relentless I suppose the action's fairly fairly full on and doesn't doesn't relent that much no although um, the BBS Insight for uh, the Star Trek film does talk about uh, comic moments um, so how that can again sometimes help and I mean we see this across all the categories but perhaps we don't uh, talk about it a lot on the podcast but you know you see like everything from the jokes in Finding Nemo up until some films that sort of even at like as I say 12A or 15 where things like moments of levity moments of calm can really help. It's not just films for little children that need that. Sometimes it's the yeah. older audiences need that bit of a break from something to stop it being such sustained. Yeah, that's certainly right. Because yeah. at you, we say that um, threatening moments have to have reassuring outcomes, yeah, don't yeah. we? It's, it's interesting that it's still a sort of a, a factor at the higher higher levels. I mean, Oblivion's a sort of a slightly different beast in that it's it's got the same sort of science fiction uh, tropes that you see in in Star Trek, but it's a bit bleaker to an yeah. extent. It's often, it's often just Tom Cruise on screen sort of fighting uh, robots in a sort of a post-apocalyptic landscape. So it's a bit more solemn, perhaps, than, uh, yeah, than the previous uh, film. Kind of got that sort of uh, further feeling of um, the aftermath, if you like, mm. of, of, of something sort of cataclysmic happening, which yeah. is maybe maybe feels more sombre, as you say, or, or, or scary. The other interesting thing with Oblivion in terms of, because again, that was a 12A and the moderate violence and things like that were what I talked about in the BBFC Insight. Um, and they talk about, you know, there the may be blood on clothing and little sites of injury, but not lots of detail. But they also talk about uh, there being a, a sort of distinction, if you like, between robots being bashed and attacked and humans and how maybe we do feel differently as an audience if it's 
something that doesn't feel any pain. It takes away the sadistic air to it. Um, and I think that that's one of the things with Oblivion as well, where there are these sort of difficult, you know, scary moments or whatever, but they are within that 12A boundary. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're not going to wince if we see a robot being uh, being punched, I suppose, which yeah. is a, sort of a different kettle of fish if it's two characters uh, beating each other up. Yeah, I mean, you even get that in um, much, films for much younger children as well. I mean, uh, so when I'm talking with primary school audiences, uh, kids will still remember uh, fighting and things in films like Spy Kids, right. where there are android robots. I think that's Spy Kids 2 or 3, but one of those where there's, an, there's a robot version of the little girl gets sort of walloped, and, and it's not so upsetting because you know she's not feeling any pain really and that she's okay mm-hmm. sure it's, it's a that depersonalized violence i suppose we'd call it, is that, that yeah. yeah and also um, i guess it's uh, feeds into what we were talking about in the previous podcast with war of the worlds and it's a thing with sci-fi it's like how much you identify and how much how close it is to your real world and in some i guess uh, an android is less close because we know that they don't yeah they don't feel like pain us. like us it's yeah, a bit like the lego movie Yes, no, that's right. <laughs> we wondered if we could finish with my favourite thing I found in a BBFC file. Oh, go for it. I mean, uh... been hiding in the vaults. Um, uh, you at home can't see, but our whole desk is covered in all the bits of the Jurassic Park file that I've um, fiddled with in the last couple of days whilst researching this. But it comes from a different film, uh, from Jaws, because James Fellman got several letters about Jaws, and one of them was from a younger audience member who was extremely cross that he kept passing all the films she wanted to see. Um, at X and therefore she didn't have anything she could go to the cinema to see and he talked to her about a lot about how it, in, they considered the views of psychologists and they wanted to protect children and things um, and about how they created a warning for Jaws um, but he also you know says that you know it's very scary ask, ask your mum and dad and then at the end he says that there's some other films she might like if she was keen to see Jaws in the cinema and she he points out some um, sci-fi classics he says two other good films you might like to look out for are The Island of Dr Moreau also an A and a very exciting new science fiction film called Star Wars which will be opening at Christmas and which is a you I don't think you will find either of those silly child films and I hope you will enjoy them and I was, isn't that lovely that he's giving her a steer to Star Wars and this is of course before Star Wars was is you know the the mega yeah. mega sci-fi touchstone that we all know today it's difficult so, to imagine a world where a Star Wars wasn't around it's very but, hard yeah. but you know there was a world in the 1977 before that film came yeah. out where you know it was it was very tough if yeah. you were 10 or 11 and you wanted to see a film and you were too young to go yeah, and we've uh, sort of come full circle with another series of Star Wars films coming out so. yeah this year so um, more sci-fi fodder for yes. us to talk about okay thanks very much Lucy it's no really worries. interesting it's been really fun and if you'd like to get in touch with us to suggest a film that you might like to hear on the podcast please do use the podcast feedback form which is available on the podcast page of our website or you can email us at podcast at bbfc.co.uk or tweet to us uh, at, at bbfc